Wasn't he Billy Graham's song leader, George Beverly Shea? I think so, yeah. You know who Billy Graham is? Oh, we got to pray for you, man. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Negative 28. Yeah. <laughs> Green means go. Glad you came back tonight, amen. Still no snow, sorry about that. Well, we're going to jump back into this thing. I uh, did rework a little bit of the material. We got through two weeks ago, I think it was, 33 out of 44. Of uh, This is uh, Lesson 6 in Pneumatology, and we've been making quite a study on the Holy Spirit. And although it's been work, it's been study, and uh, the, I'll use the word clerical. It's been very clerical. Hopefully, it's been a help. And uh, what I want to do is I want to get through this, but I'm going to not just give you the last 11. I'll make some comment on about three or four others here. So if you would, why don't you take your Bible tonight and go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, like I said, we've been studying the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's what the Lord expects us to do. He expects us to study. You know, the Bible says, of course, study to show thyself approved unto God. And why this generation is so anemic spiritually is we've stopped studying. Um, I don't think study anymore seems to be a part of the equation of many Christians' lives, and I'm not casting that accusation at you. But nonetheless, if it... Uh, if it works into what we're talking about and the Holy Spirit deals with you on it, then I would definitely change it. But I want to, uh, before we do, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings that are found therein. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives. And Father, I pray that you would truly give us a better understanding of what the Holy Spirit does and how he works in our life in so many ways. And Father, would you strengthen us through it and Father, would you help us to find not only comfort, but find uh, some peace and find the right understanding, Lord, so we could live a life that's pleasing to you. Now, Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you help us now? Amen. Now, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. I want to go back over just a couple of these. I want to hit verse uh, number 1 again and make just a couple comments here. And that first one, what's that? I do, but I'm not sure. I think they're back in my office, actually. Uh, that might be back in the office on my floor somewhere. There's about two or three of them. So somebody wants to go look. But uh, we're talking about how the Holy Spirit works in relation to the believer. Now, when you got saved, you got the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. And despite what, uh, we're not going to do too much intro here, but despite what the Pentecostals and the Charismatics say, the Holy uh, uh, Spirit did not come into you uh, to make you feel warm and fuzzy. You know that. Amen. Holy Spirit did not come into you so you could blibber, blabber, blubber in some unknown tongue. The Holy Spirit did not come inside of you to give you a gift that makes you think you have all kinds of power. That's not what the Holy Spirit is there for. But here we're looking at what he does, his work 
in relationship to you, the child of God. I want to go over this one again. Number one, he assures the believer of sonship and makes him like Jesus Christ. In Galatians 4, 6, uh, we receive the spirit of adoption. You see that? Uh, so uh, I just had it there and I lost the verse here. But when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become a son of God through adoption. I think you understand that. I think you know that. But I'm going to read this verse here to you. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible says here, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You get that picture when you got saved? Guess what? I mean, it's kind of animated, but He sends the Holy Spirit into your hearts, and that Holy Spirit's crying something, isn't it? And He's crying, Abba, Father. So in Galatians 4, 6, we receive the spirit of adoption. And you know what you cry out? Daddy. You need daddy. That's what, you, that's what you're crying out. Uh, the other verse there is Romans 8, 16. The Bible says there, The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So what I'm trying to get you to see is that it's the job, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in dealing with you about sonship, dealing with you, assuring you that you're his son. And uh, also it makes you, uh, helps he, his job to make you like Jesus Christ. Now think about it with me just for a second. If a Christian doubts his salvation, it's simply because he doesn't believe what God said in the scriptures. That's, I've just reduced it down to the, what do you call it in math, uh, the least common denominator, the least common multiple, the least common factor. If you doubt your salvation, it is simply not because God did something. It's just because you don't believe what God told you in his word. And what that is, is that's you calling God a liar. And you can't call God a liar. You can't call your father a liar and expect to be in good relations with him. You see the application. But the assurance comes through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings you the assurance as well as the Holy Scripture, which would make perfect sense since the Holy Spirit is the author and interpreter of the Holy Scriptures. A great example of this assurance is found in 1 John chapter 5. I think most of you know the verse here. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. One fellow said, I need some verses on assurance of eternal security. Now there's a handful of them. I'll give you one. Amen? And if one ain't enough, well, go back and pray. <laughs> Amen? Now I know there's a body of literature and a body of evidence in the scriptures that will help you understand that once you are saved, you cannot lose the salvation because you cannot lose Christ. All right, but 1 John 5, 13, here's a great example. The Bible said these things, these things. Take your Bible right here, these things. You see it? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So you ask yourself, do I believe on the name of the Son of God? Sure you do. That ye may know that you have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now these things are spoken of, they're spoken of here, the scriptures that you're reading. And one of the reasons that the scriptures were written so that you and I would know that we have eternal life. That's one of the reasons. The reason why many Christians don't know and are not sure and don't have the assurance is because they don't read the book. Amen. That's it. That's all it is. It's no deep theological, crazy-seated factors. Just not reading the book God left you. Amen. And if you don't read, you don't know. 
It was kind of like the boys and I had the unique, I think it was a privilege of building $2 generals. And I remember we got those plans. I'd never read plans a day in my life. Brother, you know what I'm talking about. You saw them. And, uh, and I looked at that, and I'm like, what in tarnation did we get ourselves into? But you know what? The more you read it, the more you read it, the more it started to make some sense. Isn't that like that Bible? You read it one time through, and you're like on cloud nine because you actually got through it. <laughs> you run the bases in your mind, of course, because physically doing it would be too much work. Amen. <laughs> and then you read it a second time and a third time. About the fourth time or fifth time you read that book, all of a sudden things start clicking in First and Second Kings. You know what I mean? And you're like, wait a minute. Oh, that makes sense now. I didn't get it the first or the second or third or the fourth. I'm mad about that fifth time through. A couple of these things started making sense. And some of this stuff over here, about the tenth time you read, man, stuff started, whoo. See what I mean? These things have I written on you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And I think you know this. You don't, you, if you don't read, you don't know. And if you go by feeling, you'll never know. That's it. Salvation is a fact. Aren't you glad? Salvation is not a feeling. I didn't say you wouldn't get a feeling if you got saved. I'm saying salvation is not a feeling because your feelings come and go. And the more you read the book, the more you are assured of what you got, and that's the job of the Holy Spirit. All right, uh, move forward here to number nine. I want to touch on this one one more time. He guides the believer in all truth, into all truth. John chapter 16. Now, we should. this thing will take off pretty quick here. But I just want to make a little bit of comment on this. The Holy Spirit in the believer guides him into all truth. John 16, 13, the Bible says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And like we said last time we were together around this topic, that right there is the cure for all error. Since the Holy Spirit's work is to guide you and I into all truth, the believer then must be constantly in tune with the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? If it's His work to guide you into all truth, then you have to be in tune with Him. Yeah, amen. You've got to be in tune with the Holy Spirit of God. Think about it like this. Being out of fellowship momentarily can cause the believer to be guided in that very moment, in that very instant, by an unholy spirit. We talked about that this morning. If you're not in control and the Holy Spirit's not in control, something's in control. And I hate to say it, I look at the course of my life over the last week and I cannot honestly tell you with a straight face and without crossing my fingers that the Holy Spirit was always in control. You see what I mean? You have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Now that being said, when you're given the truth as a believer and He guides you into truth, guess what? You have to be willing to accept the truth. That's the next part of that thing. Why so many Christians are off in the ditch somewhere doctrinally or yoked up with some group of believers that got the head screwed on backwards is because when the Holy Spirit gave them the truth, they said, no, thank you. You got to accept the truth. Now, truth is a funny thing because when it comes to grace and mercy and the positive things, it's really easy to accept. But then you have the negative truth, like the truth not only about hell, but how about the truth about yourself in preaching? And if you're not willing to, get out of here, Beelzebub. <laughs> but if you're not willing to accept negative truth about yourself, don't expect the Holy Spirit to keep giving you the truth. You see what I mean? You have to be willing to take both the positive and the negative truth. 
For if you don't, we've said this before and you know it, light rejected becomes lightning. If you don't accept the truth, the negative truths about yourself, you stop and you go no further, no further, and you stay right where you got left. And if you stop seeking the truth, it's the result of an unholy spirit that you end up picking up along the way. Time after time, a Christian will get in trouble because he stops accepting negative truth about himself. Christ said in John chapter 8, verse 32, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And yet in the last days uh, that we're in, amen, you have a multitude of believers in the church, the Bible says, that are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now that's a crazy thing, especially when it's the job of the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide you into all truth. But yet Paul said there's a group of believers in the body of Christ in local churches that are never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You say, is he talking out of both sides of his mouth? Absolutely not. That's a group of people who stop believing the truth. And when they stop believing the truth, they resist the truth, and the Lord shuts the lights off, and they sit there in the dark until it's time to go home. I don't want to be that crowd. I don't want to be that crowd at all. That's not the fault of the Holy Spirit. That's the fault of the believer who quenches the Holy Spirit when the believer was given the truth. Well, that thing's going to bug me all night, ain't it? Anybody got a fly swatter? <laughs> now, in order to overcome this great error, the Christian has to love the truth. And you've got to ask yourself, do you love the truth tonight? That's pretty weak. <laughs> Do you love the truth tonight? <laughs> I might have been fishing for an amen. <laughs> not only love the truth, but the believer then must seek the truth, actively seek it. Not only love it, but seek it, and never forget the promise that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. However, you have to remember, Christian, where a believer ceases to love the truth and where a believer ceases to seek the truth, then the believer, at that point, will definitely go into error. And it'll be led by an unholy spirit. Now let's look at number 19 real quick as we get ready to pick up where we left off at number 34. Number 19, the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy, Holy Ghost directs the believer in his prayer life to pray in the will of God according to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Now this one, uh, this one means quite a bit to me. I thought for a number of years because of my ignorance, amen, because of my gross ignorance of the scriptures, I thought that you had to know how to pray and that the longer uh, you were a Christian that you would automatically learn how to pray and know what to pray for. The Bible simply says you don't know how to pray what you ought to pray for. And like I said, I've read the Bible a number of times through and I just thought it was a, well, you know, it's just a, it's just a, it's all about tenure. You know, it's all about being saved. No, it had nothing to do with that. Look at 8.26, the Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, you see that little colon there? Uh, that's usually to define what your infirmity is. You know what your trouble is? Well, he's going to tell you what your problem is here. He says, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Isn't that something? That's coming from the greatest Christian I believe ever lived in the New Testament. You know what he's telling you? You don't know how to pray. You think you do. 
you've got a bunch of things on your mind and on your heart, and they're not all wrong, but they surely aren't all right. And when you pray them, you're not going to pray them right. That's what he just told you, and that's what he told me. Look, but here, here's the work of the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's not some Pentecostal charismaniac stuff there. That's just what's going on. Look at 27. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints, look at it, according to the will of God. Now verse 26 is very clear. Uh, never think that just because you've been praying a long time and you actually have victory in your prayer life and you actually decide that you're going to stick with it and you pray every day for 20 days that you actually know how to pray. That's just good discipline. We'll get to that in a minute. At the end of the day, you still don't know how to pray as you ought to. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just trying to be honest with you. But here it is. We don't know how to pray, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. Verse 26 and 27 clearly reveals the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in that He therefore intercedes to the Father on our behalf. So the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and He sends them on to the Father in the will of God. You and I can't pray in the will of God. We don't know how. So the Holy Spirit, no matter what your prayer life looks like, whether you're a beginner or whether you've been praying for 20 years or you've been praying 20 lifetimes, the Holy Spirit takes your prayer and it's like a Rubik's Cube and he matches the thing up and said, here, Father, this is what Brother Evans really meant. <laughs> and when he gets up there, the Lord's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Didn't not, not what he said, but this is what he meant. You see what I mean? That's a blessing because no matter where you're at or whether you've been faithful or not, just take the time to pray. And therefore, when you take the time to pray, the Holy Spirit will take your prayers and get them to the Father in the will of God. That's a blessing to this fellow right here. So the Holy Spirit takes their prayers. He sends them up in the will of God. The believer will pray, Lord, please give me a good day. The Holy Spirit takes the prayer and sends it to the Father in a different manner, which might say... Father, let Brother Evans have trouble this week so he might realize how much he needs you. And that's the good week you get. You see what I mean? That's the will of God. We say this as kids, Lord, uh, uh, pray for a good day or thank you for this wonderful day. And uh, you get everything but a wonderful day. But, uh, but the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to take our prayers and send them to the throne in the will of God. So that knowing that and just reading those two verses, 826 and 827, there is no reason why we shouldn't pray. You see what I mean? There's no reason why. It's a win-win. We stop praying because we don't see the results that we prayed for. That's why we quit. Not to mention prayer takes work. That's the other reason we quit. Prayer is against my flesh. Prayer does not make me feel good. There's never one time I get up in the morning and go, I just can't wait to pray. I've been anxious to read the Bible because I like to learn, amen, sometimes, not all times. But I don't go, oh, praise God, I get to get up and pray today. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, Epaphras, who is one of you, just a laboring guy, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete, in all the will of God. You see that? Prayer takes work. Prayer is labor. You saw oh, it ain't too hard to pray. You don't pray much, do you? <laughs> you ever try to pray and do business with God and halfway through the first minute, 
you're thinking about 20 other things. That's reality. And then you forgot to turn your phone off and beep, 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 notification here and ring there, email there. And next thing you know, you're asking God, dear Lord, uh, help me this week. And next thing you know, in your mind, you're out in the backyard raking leaves or something. How does that even happen? It takes work. And, uh, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit to direct you in your prayer life, in the will of God. Look at number 33, and that should bring us pretty close to being back on track. Number 33, and we should uh, get cooking with gas after this now. Now the work of the Holy Spirit is that he reveals, he interprets and applies the deep things of God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and look at this passage here. Work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal, to interpret, and apply the deep things of God. Now you've heard a number of messages, I would imagine, or you've heard at least references made by preachers to this one verse here. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, if you've heard it once and you grew up in church, you probably heard it a hundred times. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. How many heard that preached or mentioned or referenced in preaching? Well, it's one of them sayings that just comes out. Well, we don't know what it's going to be like. I have not seen. I'm going to tell you it's going to be so good, and, and nobody knows what it's like. But we stop because look at verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Okay, what is it? We either don't know, haven't seen, or we do know. Well, let's keep reading it. God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we, those are believers, have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now think about those things that are freely given to us of God. How about his word, right? So the things that are going to be in heaven for us, we know because we have his word, right? That's what he's talking about. Not only that, but the reason we can understand him is because we have literally the mind of Christ. And we have the Spirit of God guiding and directing and applying and interpreting the deep things of God for us. You can't have that conversation with a lost man. They won't get it. Uh, look at verse 14. Uh, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So like I said, we often hear it said and preach that you don't know and you can't know, but... The, <laughs> he turns around and says, but we do know, <laughs> you know. And But the uh, Bible turns around and tells us, but God revealed us by His Spirit. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. What we are able to know about what is awaiting those that love the Lord and the deep things of God are revealed to us and verified to us by the Holy Spirit of God. And someone who is unsaved, they can't know that stuff. They can't figure it out. And that's what that means. All right, now let's look at number 34. Talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to impart truth to others. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to impart truth to others. Uh, the passage here is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5. Acts 1, 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I understand that has to do with Pentecost. That has to do with the apostles waiting there in Jerusalem. And it was a special filling, so forth and so on. 
But let me tell you what, the moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God and he comes in to stay. And not only that, in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, the Bible says, Paul says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And that's something. So in other words, for you to impart truth to others, for you to leave this place and to minister the gospel to somebody else, it's going to take the Holy Spirit of God to empower you to do it. Whether you're going to teach a Sunday school class, you're going to preach on the street, you're going to witness to a co-worker, you're going to witness to a family member, or whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is going to have to help you, and that's His job. It's not your job to do it on your own. It's the Holy Spirit's job to empower you. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. And you know what? It's going to take the working of the Holy Spirit for that to happen. Many men have come and gone out of this church over the last 10 years. Not a complaint. I understand how this thing works. But it's the Holy Spirit of God that empowers any man to minister to any group of people. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. Why? You can't do it in your own strength. That's why you always ought to pray. Your prayer for the day should be, fill me with your power. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Not only so do you avoid being filled with an unholy spirit, because maybe the Lord can use you. But if you're not filled with the Spirit of God, it's very likely, it's very unlikely that you'll be used. Uh, there is, this is a spiritual book. This is a spiritual book whose author is the Holy Spirit. So think about it. How can you or I, an unspiritual being, impart truth from a holy book without the help of the Holy Spirit who wrote it? And that's his job. 35, number 35, it's his job to help us. Number 35, the Holy Spirit inspires worship and adoration of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspires worship and adoration of God. That's John chapter 4. John chapter 4 and verse 23. John chapter 4 and verse 23, the Bible says, But the hour cometh and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. You see that? Spirit and in truth. I'll give you the next one. Philippians chapter 3 verse 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now listen, a Christian unacquainted with worship does not know the Holy Spirit as he should. Did you catch that? A Christian, uh, a Christian unacquainted with worship does not know the Holy Spirit as he should not. Uh, you say worship these days, and automatically most people think of, oh, being some kind of trance or some kind of weird stuff. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a time and a place where you can just spend it with the Lord, and you can adore Him, you can love Him, you can talk to Him, you can worship Him in spirit and in truth. Have you ever just worshipped the Father? you ever worshipped the Lord as Creator? You ever just worshiped the Lord for being holy and lavished affection on Him as one would a lavish affection on a lover? That's what we're talking about. That's true worship. We're not talking about working up a feeling and waiting for some kind of feeling to catch us. You ever just come down to this old-fashioned altar here or an altar at home or in your car and just pour your heart and soul out, not asking God for anything, just thanking Him for being the Creator, thanking Him for giving you life and breath, and just thanking Him for being so good to you, thanking Him for being holy, thanking Him for keeping the standard so high that you could probably never attain it, well, that's a blessing. 
But you worship him in spirit and truth. You've heard it before, but maybe not enough. As Christians, we often, we often have the Martha syndrome down pretty good. We're busy. But we hardly get the Mary syndrome down. And the Mary syndrome is where you sit at his feet and you just listen. Now, people are worried about that stuff, but I often used to wonder, why are people so worried about uh, Christians sitting at the feet of Jesus? Until I started working at an ice cream company, and my boss was so worried about people and maybe not doing 120%. I don't know if you'll be able to pick up on that at all, but some of your supervisors that you have, uh, they set the goal, and if you meet the goal, they're really not as happy. They rutted you to exceed the goal. See what I mean? You know what the Lord wants? A lot of times he just wants you to sit because he wants to reveal something. He wants to show you. He wants to teach you. He wants to feed you. He wants to have fellowship with you. But Christians are so concerned that they're doing something because that gives them personal satisfaction. But the Lord wants the satisfaction that knowing that you'll sit with your tail on the ground and not move. And you'll listen even though your hind end hurts a little bit. Yeah, applying the, the, the seed of knowledge to the pew, maybe with a strip of Velcro or three or something like that. But we often get the Martha part down and we struggle with the Mary. And we get the Martha part and we're down and we're good at serving, we're good at doing this. But you know what Martha had? Nothing but trouble. I know we're going to have trouble in this Christian life, but it shouldn't come from our service. Now let me finish this out. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, another familiar passage to you. Another familiar passage. Remember, this is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit of God to inspire worship and adoration. You've got to ask yourself, when was the last time I wanted to worship God? Is the Holy Spirit working in my life or am I just going about doing my own thing? Now here in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, you notice the first man mentioned is Abel. I know you know this. And of course, Abel, he pictures the worship because there's a sacrifice there. You see that? The first man mentioned there is Abel. He pictures the worship. Well, the next man mentioned in the passage in verse 5 is Enoch. And we know all about Enoch. He's the fellow that walked with God. The first thing that takes place is the worship. The second thing that takes place in the Christian life is your walk. You work on your walk, but you worship first. And then you go to verse number 7. Here's the third individual that pops up in the great hall of faith. And that's Noah, and it's finally there where you get the work. You don't get the work in verse three, 4. You don't get the work in verse 5. You wait to verse 7, 7 being a perfect number. You see that? And, it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't end there. I mean, just take it with a grain of salt. You go to verse 8, and you got Abraham. And you know what he gets? He gets the wage or the reward for doing what God said. You see, it's all there, but you know what's first? Worship, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He inspires worship in the life of the believer. The point is, in this Christian life, when you have the right relationship with the Lord and the Holy Spirit, it will be one that inspires worship first. Churches and institutions and preachers, and we're not straightening pictures there, we're preaching and teaching right now for your edification. Churches and institutions and preachers that make more of an emphasis on the work, the work, the work, the work of God are ignorant of how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit empowers us to work, yes, but physical work or spiritual work is never the primary focus of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit flows through the believer, causing him to become full. You need to get that. 
When the Holy Spirit is coursing through you, He wants to fill you. And when He does that, you become full. Once the believer is full, He then sheds that which is dead in His life. And uh, uh, because that which is living pushes it off like that tree that pushes off the dead leaves. So a lot of Christians put the emphasis and focus on working and taking off their own deadness and then they're stuck with a dead tree. That don't work. Sorry about the pun. But that uh, Holy Spirit is the one that uh, he uh, fills you with what is living and it pushes off all the dead stuff and replaces it with new living growth. That's a picture of worship. All right, move on to number 36. The Holy Spirit is a comforter, sent to comfort the believer. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Now, most people have a great misunderstanding of being the comforter. I would imagine somewhere there are Christians who think that the Holy Spirit's job is to comfort you when you step on Legos in the middle of the night. That's not what he's there for, right? Or you get up and you kick the chair in the middle of the night and you bust your toe. Oh, I need comforting. No, you need uh, to move the chair is what you need. Amen. Acts 9.31, notice this. Great passage of scripture. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Now watch, I think it's important that you see the order of this passage. The churches had rest, first of all. This is from their persecution. Well, where's their persecution coming from? Well, back in verse 1, it was coming from Saul. He was wreaking havoc on the church, right? Breathing out threatenings and slaughters and tearing the place up. Then the churches were edified through what? Preaching, verses 27 to 29. Edification comes through preaching. People think, a lot of times people think edification is me just telling you how wonderful you are. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's funny, but no, that's not. Edification is preaching. You know how a preacher edifies the flock of God? By preaching on laziness, preaching on stubbornness. Preaching on hidden sins, amen? Stuff that needs to be brought to light. That edifies you more than me getting up and saying what a bunch of wonderful people you are, which I do believe that. But if I just got up here and I tell you how much I love this brother and this sister here and I tell you what she just, well, I tell you, I just get all the warm fuzzies, that would, you'd walk out of here like, okay, Chinese, we're good. You're edified through preaching. That's 27, 28, and 29. Now to that, number three, the churches were walking in the fear of the Lord. And then finally, the churches were walking in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. So the lesson here is to get the comfort, you got to go through the persecution. Too many odd times I would reckon that some Christians want comfort without the persecution. There's only one reason for the comfort. And it's not for you to justify living in the way you're living if it's against God. The comfort is because you're really going through something and you need comfort. You find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. It says this, Who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So you go through the persecution, you allow yourself to be edified by the preaching, you walk in the fear of the Lord, and the Holy Ghost comforts you through it all. And that's how that goes. That's number 36. Well, number 37, the Holy Spirit can even lead in the details of the believer's life and service. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 4. I know most of you know this verse, but here's a real practical verse. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, the Holy Spirit can even lead in the details of the believer's life and service. Now, Matthew chapter 4, of course, is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And notice what it says. The Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So we use that as, a, as just a reference to see that the Holy Spirit, when you're in tune with him, will lead you into details of life and service. Uh, Romans 8, 14 is another great verse attached to that. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. When the Holy Spirit of God leads you, it will always be according to his word. I want you to get that. You need to remember that. I've talked to people before. You've talked to people before. And they say, I believe the Lord is leading me, you know, somewhere over the rainbow, you know, <laughs> and the fill in the blank. And you're going like this. Really? And you're not trying to be a jerk. You're just going, something ain't right. Something ain't jiving. And what they're doing is they're telling you the Lord, they're using the Lord as the scapegoat to get out of whatever it is they want they, so they can go do what they want to do. And they said, the Lord is... The Lord is leading me. You know, I'm like, oh, baloney. <laughs> he ain't leading you nowhere. <laughs> but he'll never lead you contrary to his word. The Lord will never lead you by some unknown inner voice. Did you, did you speak to me? <laughs> no, I didn't speak to you. You're not even reading my book. Why would I speak to you? Amen. <laughs> he'll never lead you to a place that will tempt God. Did you catch that? The Lord will never lead you to a place where you'll have to tempt God for him to take care of you in a manner that he shouldn't have to. I remember back years ago, a fellow said, I believe the Lord is leading me to quit my job, and I'm just going to live by faith. Living by faith, right, in Jesus alone. And I'm like, nice try, stupid. <laughs> you say, why you say that? Well, what he did is he wanted to use the Lord to accomplish what he wanted to do and then put it on the Lord and then tempt the Lord to have to provide for him later. When the Bible said you ought to provide for your own. You see what I mean? Now, we're not talking about a fellow who went in the ministry. This fellow just said, the Lord wants me to live by faith. I'm like, okay, go to work and keep your mouth shut. That's live by faith. <laughs> Can you go to work and keep your mouth shut? It takes a lot of faith to do that. Sure do. The Holy Spirit will never lead you contrary to his word. When the Holy Spirit authored that passage uh, that said over in 2 Thessalonians, was it 3.10? 3.10, for even when we're with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Then mark it down, the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you into a place contrary to his word. I believe I need to live by faith. Amen. I believe you ought to live by faith too. But you're not, you're not going to put God in a box and make tempt God to provide for you and pay your bills when he told you to go work. That's the problem with Christianity. It's just in bed with the world. And Christians no longer, I know you all work here, so you don't mind this. This is good stuff, you know what I mean? And uh, everyone here has got a job. Probably even them young has got a job too. But uh, Christians today, a lot of Christians, I know a handful of them, they just want to do anything. And then they want to turn around and say, oh, I'm going to live by faith. No, you're just lazy as a pet coon is what you are, amen? Cut it out and go to work. Now, <clears throat> the work of the Holy Spirit can lead in the details of the believer's life and service. He can lead a man to serve the Lord in one capacity or another. He can lead a man to secular work in one capacity or another. But he would never lead a man or a woman to do that if he had no local church to do it by. You say, why would you say such an audacious thing? You ever read your New Testament? Every Christian in the New Testament had a local church. Every Christian in the New Testament. So ask yourself why there are Christians out here in our community that probably are saved and love the Lord. I bet you there's literally thousands of them. And I would even, you say, oh, I think you're wrong. Help yourself. I think I'm right. 
And you know what? They don't have a local church. Now, I didn't say this should be their local church. I'm just saying they don't have one. Well, why is that? Every church, every, every Christian in your New Testament has got a local church. Check it out. Next time, <laughs> next time you read it, <laughs> you know, see if I'm telling the truth or not. All right, to an American job is number one. God is number three or four hundred or whatever, you know what I mean? Every Christian in the Bible is part of a church. And every Christian in this Bible that I read was under preaching. So yes, the Holy Spirit can lead in the details of life and service, but it'll never be contrary to the Word of God. It'll never be in a place where you as a believer cannot attend a local Bible-believing church and be a part of it. Now, we're not talking about you got to go work, you know, somewhere over the rainbow where skies are blue. I'm not talking about the exception to the rule, you know what I mean? I mean, for years and years on the ice cream route, I couldn't attend midweek service. I had one fellow jump all over me for it. Oh, you're the preacher's son-in-law. I'm like, shut up. You want to pay my bills? Help yourself. But I got to pay my bills. I, I had to go work. You say, couldn't you got? Why don't you mind your own business? Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Amen? I don't get on you and you miss. Don't, don't get off my back, Jack. <laughs> and uh, you say, what about that fellow? What about him? Does he go to church? All over the place, I guess. Now, here's number 39. The Holy Spirit makes genuine access to the Father in heaven so that we walk right into the throne room with our petitions without going through an intermediator. Intermediary. Say that ten times fast. According to Ephesians 2.18. Ephesians 2.18. Now, that passage there says, For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Isn't that a blessing? You can go right in. That's why your Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, Let us go, therefore, boldly before the throne of grace, that we might find help in time of need. Right? You, you, you don't have to stop and say, Hey, Mary, can you schedule me in a, a visit to Jesus? Right? <laughs> oh, Mary, did you know I had an appointment? You know, sorry about the Christmas pun there, right? <laughs> you just walk in like, Hey, I'm here. I got a problem. And the Lord's like, I know, so just might as well just go ahead and throw up and get it over with. Amen? <laughs> you don't have to have an intermediary. Uh, though this is a very lengthy list so far, I doubt that it's complete at all compared, uh, in relation to the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. For it doesn't include the gifts of 1 Corinthians that the Spirit gives to the church. Uh, these gifts, uh, the ones that are not signs. And we'll cover that in just a second here. I'll go through it quickly for you. Uh, these gifts are still active in the church. Uh, your Pentecostals and your Charismatics make the same mistake today that all the gifts are still active. Now, they're active in their imagination is where they're active. But the Bible specifically told the gifts, of, that the, the gifts of tongues and the healing signs are for Israel. You knew that. And so that's why the immature Christian is always in the book of Acts. I got some friends that I work with, and every time this guy claims to be a preacher, and every time he, you know, whatever he does, his little Facebook thing, he's always in the book of Acts. He's always in Acts chapter 2. And he's stuck in a rut in Acts chapter 2. He'll never go anywhere. He's just stuck in a rut. Why? Immature Christians. They don't get it. And uh, they're always in the book of Acts where the apostolic signs are manifest to Israel because the Jews require a sign. And they're always messing around in Acts where they should actually be in Colossians and Ephesians, getting some instruction in righteousness. You say, why do they do that? Well, to me, I guess the immature Christian, now what he just wants to do is he want to counterfeit those signs. Because those signs, if he's got those signs, then he's got the power. You see what I mean? And so then if he's got the signs, then people think that he's got the power. 
You see how that is? Therefore, he's always messing around with the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 instead of talking about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. You never hear never the Pentecostal and Charismaniacs talking about the fruit of the Spirit. It's always the gifts, the gifts, the gifts, the gifts, never the fruit. The fact of the matter is they don't produce any fruit. Uh, the Holy Spirit not about to produce fruit inside of a rotten core. You're told in 1 Corinthians 1.22 that the Jews require a sign. Amen? And then again in 1 Corinthians 14.22 that tongues are given as a sign. And there's no way to refute it. So let's look at it real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's just line it right out there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1. Now this is where you have the... the there, got him. Licked him. <laughs> oh, that sucker was irritating me. Man. He's talking about getting in the flesh real quick. Yeah. <laughs> you say a fly bother you that bad? You get up and try to do something. <laughs> bother me that bad, man. <laughs> I'm about ready to splat him, but I don't want to splatter him all over the pages of my Bible. That's kind of gross, you know. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. The Bible says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be a Baptist. <laughs> Ignorant. Amen. <laughs> Verse 2. You know that uh, you know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols. He's not cussing there. He's just describing the nature that they're dumb. They can't talk and they can't interact with you, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, called Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. And by the way, all your Pentecostals and Charismaniacs, they go, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. But the right way to say it is Jesus is the Lord. You see it? All right. Verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God, which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Okay, here we go. Verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. There's the first one. That's a gift. That's to you and me. To another, the word of knowledge. You see that? you got a gift of wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is assimilating facts. Wisdom is the ability to know how to, ask, uh, to assimilate all those facts, know what to do with it. Some people are really good at studying. They can take a bunch of information and stew it right down. But the wisdom, the gift of wisdom, is to be able to know where that applies and where it goes. Uh, by the same spirit, to another faith, that's number three. Let's, let's just face it. God gives some people more faith than he does you. I mean, even in the New Testament, uh, the disciples would say, increase our faith. I heard one preacher say, well, just use the faith you got. Well, that might be a good start, amen. But I don't know why you wouldn't pray to, why, why you wouldn't pray to increase it. But the fact of the matter is, one of the gifts of the church is God gives some men an extra measure of faith. And that's the not, not, not talking about faith to be saved. Everyone's got that. Uh, once you're saved, but we're talking about in your daily life. I'll give you an example of uh, probably how that thing is uh, applied. You have a fellow by the name of Sutek, and he's been serving the Lord, I don't know, 50 years at least, 40 years, 45, probably go just as long as Fon Law has been, and he's gone places without a dime to his name. That man's got faith. Now, there's no way I could do what he did. You know, I've read his books. I've read uh, my wife travel with uh, their family for a summer. I'm you want to talk about living by faith? They live by faith. You say, how? The gift God gave that man. You say, you jealous? <laughs> no. <laughs> but thankful. <laughs> now here's another one to another faith. By the same spirit to another the gifts of healing. Now hold on. Put on the brakes. 
You know what that is? That's a sign gift to Israel. You see, I figured that stuff out. Healing is a sign gift to Israel. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 1.22 and 1 Corinthians 14.22. By the same spirit, that's what healing is. So that's not to you and I. All right, verse 10, to another the working of miracles. Hold on. Is that to you and me? That's another sign gift. All those miracles, all that healing, that was done to Israel, that they would believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So that's not to the church. That was to Israel. You say, what do you do with it? You scratch it. You don't go around pretending that you got the gift of miracles. Because if you got the gift of miracles, and you and I are going to the bank, and I'm going to put my card in, you're going to bring me about 10 grand. Amen? And if not, I'm going to call you a phony. <laughs> right? All right, now another one, to another discerning of spirits. That's for the body of Christ. John said in 1 John 4, 1, believe not every spirit. Let me tell you what, face it, face it, Christians. Some people, God's given the ability and the gift to be a better discerner of spirits. Now, some people have that ability. You ever wonder? You ever, some days I feel like I'm the dumbest thump in, in the room. And uh, God gives some people just, just some great discerning ability with spirits. And they can pick that stuff out. I think of my friends, Dr. Walker, Dr. Wheeler, great discerners of spirits. Dr. Peacock. To another interpret, uh, I'm sorry, another diverse kinds of tongues. That one's easy. That one's Israel, 1 Corinthians 14, 22. I'm just showing you what you already know, how to rightly divide your Bible. Next time someone comes up to you and say, well, what about this? I got the gift of miracle. I got the gift of healing. Well, you got the gift of blowing your nose because no, you don't. Diverse kinds of tongues, that's to Israel. You scratch it. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, unless you're talking about different languages and you just like, you know, Rosetta Stone, you know. <laughs> that's to Israel as well. You scratch that as well. It's just rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's how you handle that stuff. Verse 11, but all these work of that, uh, that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now the gifts of the spirit here in 1 Corinthians 12 are certainly for the body of Christ and are still manifest, but the specific ones that are to be signs to Israel and to the apostles are no longer in effect. And we just told you which ones are, which is perfectly apparent by the fact that all the apostles are dead. Not only that, if there's any doubt in your mind at the end of this study, You'll remember that at the end of Paul's ministry, he couldn't even heal his own friends. Trophimus was left sick at Miletum, and Timothy was recommended medicine for his poor tummy. <laughs> right? Now, if he still had those sighing gifts, why didn't he just go, here you go, Trophimus, Ostrochondi, you know? Here you go, don't, don't drink that anymore, Tim, come here, let me lay my hands on you, a holy handkerchief, and all that's gone, done. Well, let's get number 40. We're coming to a close here. The Holy Spirit can strive with men. Now, we use this verse in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, just to kind of show you the application of it. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, and the job of the Holy Spirit to strive with men and attempting to turn them from sin to righteousness. Attempting to turn them from sin to And that's what he's trying to do in your life as a Christian, too. He's striving with you. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, this is right before the flood, Bible says, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. And what you have here, you don't have the limiting of men's years. A lot of people think that, well, that's where in Genesis 6 is where they, they only were living to 120 years. No, it has nothing to do with that. What you have here is a timeline. God's given uh, Noah a timeline. 
In about 120 years, the Spirit of God is going to stop striving with men. You say, how so? Because he's going to drown them out. So he gave them 120 years to get right. And, of course, they didn't get right. Had to build a boat, and then he drowned them out. But in the same manner, the work of the Holy Spirit is striving with men against sin and turning them unto righteousness. And that will do with you this week. The closer you stay in tune with the Holy Spirit, he'll do, do everything he can in his power. With, he's not a Calvinist to try to keep you from sin. And that's what he'll do. Number 41. Number 41, the Holy Spirit can enlighten men, according to Job chapter 32 and verse 8. Job 32 and verse 8. I'll read that passage of Scripture here. The Bible says in Job 32, 8, But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. That's a great verse. The inspiration of the Almighty. That word inspiration just means God breathed. When God breathes, guess what? The breath of God is the Spirit of God. So it's the Spirit of God that enlightens men and gives them understanding. Now let's put two and two together. Psalm 119, 130. We quote the verse all the time. The entrance of thy words giveth light. Right? It giveth understanding unto the simple. So since the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture and the interpreter of it, it should make perfect sense that reading the Bible is what gives delight to the believer as well as understanding in all things. The more you read that book, the more understanding you get. Why? It's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to give you understanding. Never think that it's your job to figure this thing out. You can't. Jeremiah chapter 10. Is it 10? Oh, man, what's that verse? Just gone. Just like that. You know what Jeremiah said? I'll paraphrase it. I can't even direct my own steps. So why would the Lord expect you to direct your own steps? He doesn't. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to give you understanding. And the only way you're going to get understanding is to be in that book. <clears throat> That's the Holy Spirit's job. I'll, I'll give you an ultimatum. He will enlighten you or you will not be enlightened at all. He will give you understanding or you will have no understanding at all. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to give you understanding. Here's number 42. The Holy Spirit endues men with skill and talent. Now, this is what we often think the Holy Spirit is here for. What's that verse? Did you find that? Yeah. 10.23. That's it. 10.23. Man, that should, be, that should be every young man's life verse. <laughs> Amen. Translate it. You're an idiot and you need the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You can't do it on your own, not on that, but the Lord doesn't expect you to do it on your own. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Proverbs 3, 7, be not wise in thine own eyes. So you mean I'm just supposed to lean on the Lord? Absolutely. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit will give you the understanding. Now, Exodus 31, I'm hurrying here. I, don't, I know this, some of this stuff is heavy, but it's, it, it'll help you. Exodus chapter 31, uh, actually the entire chapter, we will not read it, but I want to draw your attention to verse number 3 and verse number 6. What I want to show you is the Holy Spirit gives men skill and talent. Uh, a lot of people think uh, that's, uh, that's just their skill set. Well, where do you think you got that from? <laughs> Bible says, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, and in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge, and all manner of workmanship. Now verse 6, And behold, I have given with him a holy ab. So the first guy he filled was Bezalel, old Bez. And then this feller was a holy ab. 
I guess I'd rather be a Bez than an Aholiab, amen. The son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded thee. So you need to remember and realize it's the Holy Spirit that gives men talent and abilities. That's his job. You don't suppose that all the talent, and I'm not being funny, and all the ability, and there's a lot of ability, right, in this room right here. God, the Holy Spirit, gave you that. Isn't that a blessing? And he didn't give it just for you. He gave it so you could edify others, and you could be a blessing to him with it. Just like he gave that little boy the lunch, right? The five loaves and the two fishes. It's one of the best stories in the Bible. And you know what that boy did? He took everything he had. And he gave it back to Jesus. So therefore, the Lord could do something with it that that little boy never could have ever done. But it's the Holy Spirit that endues men with skill and ability. Never think that what you're good at is because it's just, that's just what I do, you know. <laughs> well, how do you think you got there in the first place? But uh, this, should be, uh, this should be encouraging. Most, most men are stupid, amen, because I am one, thinking that they actually had something to do with their own skill and talent. But if it weren't for the Holy Spirit... You'd have nothing at all. You ever stop and think about how good and gracious God is? He gives a lot of devil's talent. You ever stop and think of some of the most wicked uh, uh, men in history, uh, especially some of these music stars, these rock stars? There's a bunch of, uh, okay, we'll stop right there. I mean, I mean, lots of talent there. You think one of the greatest composers, uh, uh, I hate to say it, but he was a sodomite, Tchaikovsky. Guess who gave him that talent? Not to be a sodomite, but to be a great composer? Holy Spirit of God gave him that. He chose to be a devil and, uh, well, do his devilish things. All right, number 43, coming to a close. The Holy Spirit helps men to do ordinary tasks. Uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 34. I'll read it here. The Bible says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Ebiezer was gathered after him. Now, this should be a comfort to you. This really should be a comfort to you. The Holy Spirit helps men and women just do ordinary tasks. <laughs> Holy Spirit can help you do ordinary tasks that you have to accomplish every day, every day at the workplace. I thought about this verse. I was trying to prepare this, Psalm 113, verse 9. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. <laughs> Praise ye the Lord. If you're a woman, you got kids, he can make you, he can make you joyful. He can make you joyful and do the dishes. I think about Genesis 29, 20. The Bible says, And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. And the Holy Spirit can help you just do ordinary tasks and make the days and the moments fleet and move right along. Why? It's the help. It's the power. It's the assisting aid of the Holy Spirit. So no matter what it is, the Holy Spirit can help you to do ordinary tasks like get up and go to work. Or just be a father, or be a mother, or be a son, or be a daughter. How about this one? Be a student. The Holy Spirit can help you be a student right now where you're at in class. He can help you take tests. He can help you study. He can help you do homework. He can help you do chores. He can help you do whatever it is that you have to do every day on routine duty, every day uh, basis. He can, or he can just help you be a laborer. I know you think this from time to time. Sometimes you wake up, go to work, and you're like, what am I doing with my life? All I do is work, work, work. And the Holy Spirit can help you work, work, work. He can help you read and study the Bible. He can help you teach a Sunday school class. He can help you make it through your life and pay your bills. 
that never quit coming. Just There's a spoiler right there. <laughs> they just never quit coming. Amen? Never going to quit coming. He can help you serve the Lord in your local church, and on and on and on it goes. Last one here. The Holy Spirit helps men to do unusual tasks that require supernatural strength. Now, we're not going to put a whole lot of emphasis on this one because we're going to take this example out of Judges chapter 14 and verse 6 and talking about uh, Samson here. Judges chapter 14, verse 6. Now, we're not looking for this to happen, but I'll tell you this. We're not limiting the Holy Spirit. If he needed to do something supernatural in the realm of your strength, he definitely could do it. But I'm not looking for it. I'm not asking for it. Uh, you know, you've heard about those situations where uh, cars fell on children and mothers picked up the car. Well, what you don't realize is that they probably pulled every muscle out of their body and broke bones and probably couldn't walk for six weeks after that. All you heard was about the supernatural, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit and lifting the car off Junior. No, that's a mother going slap crazy, and you get between her and her bears, <laughs> you're going to be dead. But Judges 14, 6, the Bible says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. Now you know the story there. Samson, he tore up a lion with his bare hands. Not a bear, but a lion. <laughs> Anyways, he just, he just rent that lion and tore him all up and tore him limb from limb. And he wasn't supposed to touch that. Uh, he wasn't supposed to touch anything dead, and he, he killed that thing. And like I said, we're not looking for the supernatural things. It requires supernatural strength. But if God was to need it, the Holy Spirit would supply it through you. And that's his job. And like I said, this is a very incomplete list, but we're not going to go any farther than 44. <laughs> it's enough. And I think a very comprehensive list, thing, 44 things the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. So as we close here uh, tonight, never forget that the Holy Spirit is a very important person. It's the reason I chose to, to go down this road and study the Holy Spirit, because I think many times we forget how much the Holy Spirit does in our lives, and He is very God of very God. He's a very active work and work, worker in the life of the believer, and the Holy Spirit is the dominant character in the Bible outside of God the Father and God the Son. And this will close up our Lesson 6, and it will probably be the new year before we pick up the remainder of these lessons.